You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Monday uh, to you and yours. Uh, I feel replenished, refreshed after an awesome weekend. Uh, Dave Chappelle was on Saturday Night Live and did a great job. We'll talk about that today. Uh, maybe that's why I'm a bit chipper today is because it's like, hey, Dave Chappelle's trying to legalize comedy and I've been telling you guys from the beginning how important comedy is. Uh, but also maybe I'm chipper today because it was a very, very fascinating NFL weekend. And perhaps I'm fired up because I know that uh, Steve Kim is just around the corner and we're gonna unpack uh, this NFL weekend uh, with Steve Kim. Uh, Last Chance Q, uh, Jason Brown, uh, he's going to join us at the end of the show. He's actually still in Las Vegas. He went to that Colts-Raiders game. Uh, <coughs> he's in Las Vegas, and I believe he's on the golf course, but he went to that game last night. <clears throat> and so we'll hear from Jason Brown at the end of the show. Shamika Michelle is going to be here as well. She's going to help me unpack uh, the Dave Chappelle uh, monologue, and she's going to talk <laughs> uh, my good friend, uh, Mike Pereira, over at Fox Sports, got himself in a little bit of trouble with some tongue wagging, uh, some <laughs> caught on camera tongue wagging, and we'll ask uh, Shamika Michelle to make that make sense, and we'll talk about Dave Chappelle and his monologue. It's going to be an awesome, awesome Monday. And you know why it's gonna be awesome? Uh, because Preborn is still with us my favorite uh, company out doing God's work, saving babies' lives, uh, is still out here with us supporting our show, and we continue to support Preborn because we have partnered, myself, Blaze, Preborn, to save 50,000 babies in 2022. And uh, Preborn has been at this for a long time. They've counseled more than 500,000 women. They've saved nearly 200,000 babies' lives. They provide ultrasounds to expectant mothers, mothers that are considering aborting their babies. They provide an ultrasound, they show the baby, that you hear the baby's heartbeat, and that has a dramatic impact on a woman and making her choose, helping her choose life. But it just doesn't stop there. Preborn, uh, helps counsel that woman and bring her into faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, doesn't stop there. Once you uh, provide that ultrasound, once you start talking to a woman about Jesus and his ability, his grace and mercy, and his vision for your life, 
they don't stop there. Then they start uh, supplying support for that woman with diapers and baby clothes and food and just everything that the woman needs to get this baby into this world, uh, supported in this world, and they do it all free of charge. And we had Dan Steiner on the show, the founder of Preborn. We had him on the show last week, uh, and we talked with him about where the money goes. The money that you donate goes directly, directly to the ultrasounds. This isn't one of those charities where half the money goes to some executive or a bunch of middle management people. Your money goes directly where it's advertised to go. This is a ministry a ministry of saving lives. I'm so proud of this association with Preborn, and I'm so proud of you, because I keep hearing from you all that are giving money to Preborn, that are going to preborn.com slash Jason, or you're hitting pound 250 on your phone and saying the keyword baby. I keep hearing from you guys about giving money and being inspired to give money and how you're embracing the idea and the concept that if you want to be a fearless soldier, if you want to improve this culture, we got to do it by saving babies' lives. And we got to do it by supporting organizations like Preborn. Things, many of you, and, and later in the week, we won't get into it today, but later in the week, uh, we're going to get into the disappointment that many of you are feeling behind this election cycle. And, and the point of this show is that, and again, I'm not downgrading politics or diminishing the importance of politics, but there's a greater mission. If we don't start saving people, if we don't start uh, imposing or uh, demanding or promoting a culture of respect for the Most High, for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If we don't start promoting values that are consistent with a biblical worldview, it doesn't matter what happens at the polls. It just doesn't matter. And you can put your faith in politics all you want. And, and again, I'm not knocking you, I'm not denigrating you, but if you really want to see change, if you really want to see the polls change, if you really want to see a transparent election process, put your faith in God. And one of the ways you can put your faith in God is by supporting life. And that's where preborn comes in. So I'm gonna get off my soapbox. I need you guys to go to preborn.com slash Jason. I need you to go on your cell phones or whatever, pound uh, 250, say the word baby. Let's save lives. Trust me, they can't fix, they can't cheat what we do with preborn. When you save a baby's life, that is final. You don't have to wait 10 days, a week, you don't, for the polls to come in and for the, all the votes to be counted, when you send that $28, you're saving a baby's life. When you send that $140, you're saving five babies' lives. When you send on a monthly basis, you're saving babies' lives. You don't have to wait for some politician to count the votes. You don't have to wait on some corrupt system to count the votes. Your vote actually matters at preborn.com. Use it wisely. Save babies' lives. 
That will change the world. Trust me. All right. Uh, let's talk a little football. Uh, let's bring in, let's go out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in you all's favorite contributor, uh, my least favorite contributor, because some people actually think he should be the host of this show. Uh, you know, I get all kinds of emails, and some of them are great. Some of you write in and tell me about preborn. Some of you write and tell me how good I look. And then there's some clowns out there that write in and say, hey, man, you know what? Steve Kim maybe should be the host of this show. They, people just love the Korean co-sell. Uh, I tolerate him. Uh, so uh, let's tolerate Steve Kim here for the next 30, 45 minutes or so talking some NFL. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, why you got that big smile on your face? I mean, you, I got a new nickname for you now, the Black Wally Pip. Don't you dare, <laughs> don't you dare miss a day of work. The Korean Iron Horse I, is waiting, okay? So I'm just letting you know. Just letting I'm you know. very aware of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm like a mailman. Rains, <laughs> sunshine, whatever. I'm, I'm going to be here. Uh, let's start with, I want to play you this clip. Uh, the Colts won. Jeff Saturday and the mm -hmm. Colts won. They beat the Raiders. In uh, a pretty good performance from Matt Ryan and all this, but I want to play you this clip from Bill Cower on the CBS NFL Today show. Uh, he's not real happy about Jeff Saturday getting that Colts job. Let's take a listen. I know for a fact that Jeff Saturday was offered an opportunity to become a head, an assistant coach with the Indianapolis Colts multiple times in the last four years. He declined, citing that he had a TV job and wanted to spend more time with his family. Mm -hmm. I get it. That's fair. I get it. Coaching is about commitment and it's about sacrifice. It's not just a job, it's a lifestyle. For an owner to hire a coach who's never been an assistant at the college level or the pro level <clears throat> and overseeing a very much a lot of candidates that are qualified for that job as we see in Steve Wilkes, an opportunity to build a resume. It's a disgrace to the coaching profession. Mm. And regardless of how this thing <coughs> plays out, what happened in Indianapolis is a travesty. Mm. What happened Ooh. in Indianapolis is a travesty and it's a disgrace to the coaching profession. Uh, Jeff Saturday's 1-0 after knocking off the Raiders <laughs> yesterday. Uh, your thoughts on Bill Cowher's thoughts, and then we'll transition into your thoughts on does Jeff Saturday deserve that credit? From a coaching perspective, I kind of see what he's getting at, but Bill Cowher's being awfully naive if he thinks everything in the world is based on merit. No, I mean, and, and a lot of people, he got swamped. I mean, he got absolutely ratioed yesterday on Twitter because a lot of broadcast journalists and professionals said, well, wait a minute, Bill. You never once spent a day in journalism school or broadcasting school, yet you got a job on CBS. Well, you know why, Bill? Because of your cachet and what you did in another line of work. Well, Jeff Saturday is the same thing. But uh, this is where Bill really loses me. Uh, look, do you think everyone in the world gets something on merit? And do you think everything is fair? It, it kind of reminds me of that old saying from Jimmy Johnson. I treat all of my players fairly which means differently. Okay, now as unorthodox as I thought that move was, I get it. Jeff Saturday is an all-time great Colt. He's also a guy that's kept in very close touch with the owner. He was a special assistant or a consultant, and he is still in the game of football. 
So, look, it's not the worst hire in the world. And, look, the number one thing was playing the Raiders. That's why they're 1-0. Let's be honest about it. It's not like he did a great job of coaching. That had a lot to do with it. But in my view, I just wonder, would Bill Cowher have had the same energy if that was a black individual that got that job? I think it's very easy right now to pick on anyone that's white. And if they get something that's perceived to be some sort of privilege, well, then it's easy. But you know what? Jeff Saturday, again, earned that spot, not through coaching, but because of who he is. And that's the way it goes. Mm. I didn't know you were going to go there. That's an interesting point. I may have to marinate on that for another 30 seconds. Let me say this about his disgrace to the coaching profession. I get it where he's coming from. You, You got a bunch of people that pay their dues break their backs trying to get these opportunities and and what coaches are saying behind the scenes is like oh Jeff Saturday Brown knows his way to the job he befriended (laughs) Jim Irsay and Brown knows his way into a head coaching job and 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 Bill Cowher's like hey that's that's never been the way that you get these opportunities You, you work you prove yourself as a coach and, and, yeah, maybe there is a little bit of brown nosing going on. But, again, you pay some dues and then you get these jobs. For Jeff Saturday to simply, oh, I'm going to be a consultant. I'm going to turn down assistant coaching jobs. I'm not going to pay any dues. I'm going to manipulate a naive owner who's, you know, <laughs> a bit of a quirky guy, uh, Jim Mersey is. I, I'm going to manipulate him and get the job that way. No matter how much success Jeff Saturday has, there will be a lot of coaches very upset uh, if this guy runs runs the table and takes the coach to the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of guys very upset about the way he went about getting the job. No one likes a brown noser. No one likes a teacher's pet. No, that, that goes all the way back to childhood, and that's what this looks like, even though he may have some success at it. He, he didn't do anything other than brown nose uh, Jim Irsay to get the job. And, and I don't blame Bill Cowher and other coaches for not respecting him. Well, you call it brown nosing. I call it going off your past accomplishments. Let, let's take a look at the genesis of this. Jeff Saturday, I believe, was an undrafted free agent out of UNC crafted himself into being a good enough player that he played well over a decade. And by the way, Jason, uh, you talked about how he has no Hall of Fame credentials. I didn't know this. He made the All-Decade team. Basically, that's one of the main markers of any guy making the Hall of Fame. If you make that particular designation, you might have a spot in Canton. And then, obviously, he was a guy that kept in touch. And I don't know. You call it brown-nosing, but here's the thing. When you're in television, you have a relatively light schedule, I believe, if you're not one of those full-time guys. Like Stephen A. Smith, he works more jobs than the Hadleys. Remember that old uh, Jamaican family from In Living Color? <laughs> so you're right. So, But now, Jeff Saturday has to spend at least 12 to 14 hours, seven days a week. So that cushy lifestyle that he had going on ESPN several times a week, that's over now. So uh, unless he was doing that job, like Michael Jordan's been criticized a lot for the way he handles his management responsibilities in the NBA. He's not at the city. He's not always at the facility. But again, he's Michael Jordan. But that's not really the way to do it. And people have criticized him. 
as a head coach of a football team, you have to be the first one in that building and you have to be the last ones out. That, that's the reality. That's what he signed up for. And if he's doing that, you could call it brown nosing. I, I call it networking. It's all in the way you frame this. I don't think it's going to be sustainable. And what I mean by that is this may work this season. The Colts were supposed to be a good team this year, and they were clearly underachieving. And part of their underachievement was the poor play of their offensive line. And so you, you get an offensive lineman in there as head coach, and, I'm t- and again, I know it's the Raiders, and the Raiders' defense hasn't been that good, but, but the offensive line played a lot better. And, and, and I'll even go down to the, they have a backup offensive lineman that started the year as a starter, a guy named Danny Pinter. He played at Ball State. He was like a fourth-round draft pick a few years ago. They had him slated to start. He got overwhelmed early in the season, lost his job, and was scapegoated. I was shocked, important down from their own end zone, trying to get out from underneath their own goal line or whatever. They brought Danny Pinner in as the sixth offensive lineman, and it was just one play. But I was like, oh, Danny's still on the active roster. Good sign. And then I looked at the, uh, the play that he was in on, and he dominated his man. And, and I was like, that was one of the things like, oh, man, their offensive line is playing a lot better. Here's a guy that was struggling, and I know it's just one play, but the, Danny Penner was getting overwhelmed. They were writing all kinds of things about what a dumb decision it was to make him a starter. I, I'm looking back now, looking at that game, and I'm seeing like, oh, he's still part of Jeff Saturday's plans, just like they brought Matt Ryan back into the lineup. And so, again, I think there's a chance this is going to work this year. I don't think it's going to be sustainable over the long haul. Uh, and so I, 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 I'm, I'm glad they won. It's an interesting storyline, but I'm not ready to crown Jeff Saturday just yet. Jason, the reality is this may not work past yesterday. They played the Raiders, not the 2000 Ravens. But, I, you know, look, Jonathan Taylor, the Wisconsin Winnebago, that's the key. He's been banged up. He's not the player he was last year. But if he's healthy, he elevates every bit of that team on both sides of the ball because he keeps the defense off the field and he keeps the quarterback relatively safe and clean. And you have to give Saturday credit. Immediately, he said right off the bat, Matt Ryan, you're going back in. That's a head coaching CEO type of move. That's what he's brought in there for. That's what the head coach is supposed to do. Long as you have strong coordinators, if you have a guy like Jeff Saturday that knows the football game and the culture, and he's only there to say, oh, fourth down, we're going to go for it. No, we're going to kick it here. And making decisions like that. And look, if you look at that game plan, it was about feeding the ball to Jonathan Taylor and asking Matt Ryan not to be the MVP he was six, seven years ago, but just be solid, efficient, and deliver several throws. And they got the job done. Also, the way he handled the end of the first half, manipulating the clock, that's, that was good. I mean, honestly, again, they did not play a great team. Let's make that very clear. But that looked like a professionally prepared football team that I saw from Indianapolis yesterday. On the other end of the spectrum, following that game, 
uh, Derek Carr, the quarter, <laughs> quarterback for the Raiders, uh, went to the podium and <sighs> shed some tears and looked like a guy that knows his uh, Raiders career is coming to an end. Let's play the clip from Derek Carr. Sorry for being emotional. I'm just pissed off about some of the things, you know, that a lot of us try and do just to practice. What we put our bodies through just to sleep at night. And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Mm. This is a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what <clears throat> some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like just so we could be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. Mm. And as a leader, that pisses me off. Mm. If I'm being honest. I'm a big Derek Carr fan. I, I really am. He's a believer. I like him. But it's just not working out for him. They go out and get Devontae Adams, who, who played a great mm-hmm. game yesterday. But, but it's just not enough. And there's something, there's something missing with Derek Carr. He can't seem to put it all together. And he sounded those tears. And I get it. He, he's talking about his teammates and what they're going through to play. But I also think some of that is like, oh, man, this isn't working out for me here with the Raiders. I may end up a backup quarterback in this league before too long. Jason, I'm like you. I like Derek Carr. Seems like a very upstanding individual type of guy that you love to have your next door neighbor. But this much is clear. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat as I go boys to Kim. Here we come. To the end of the road, <laughs> and we can't let go, but the Raiders will. Because you're right, Jason. The Derek Carr run, the car has run out of gas. Yes, it's over. And Derek Carr, I looked at his numbers. They're pretty good. They're pedestrian in this pass-happy offense, but he doesn't make enough winning plays. And this was the year that the Raiders, instead of being a team that squeaked into the playoffs, was supposed to win double-digit games with Devontae Adams, and finally Derek Carr stamps his name on that job, and he signs a new contract where he's going to be a career-long Raider. Unfortunately, it just has not happened. And that's the thing with Derek Carr. He puts up decent numbers. He's a competent professional quarterback. But when you lose this many close games, and I believe they've blown at least three games where they had a 17-point lead, Unfortunately, some of the blame, whether that's fair or not, will be placed right on the quarterback. And I read some tweet from one of the uh, Raider beat writers or some media members saying that the Raiders have, uh, this is before the game, by the way, that they are moving on from Derek Carr and they will set their sights on C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Now, again, I don't know if the Raiders are going to be that high up in the draft to be able to select that type of player, but it's clear. I think everyone knows that it's over. But here's what I found interesting. I I didn't see the part of the clip where he said, I wish everyone felt that way. It's clear that Derek Carr looks at certain guys in that locker room and they're not doing their part. In other words, they're not doing everything they can 
from an individual and a collective standpoint to make the Raiders a better franchise? I, I think, and I would love to interview him when this is over. Yeah. But, but this goes back to, and a couple of weeks ago, I said I would talk about this. And, and so I'm going to unpack it here. I, I'm going to pull a Steve Kim and, and start talking about things we didn't plan on talking about. But, but I, I think there are two NFL cities where it's going to be nearly impossible year in and year out to win consistently. Las Vegas is one of those mm-hmm. cities. Yep. Is, is, and so when I hear Derek Carr make that statement, it's just like, he's, man, there are guys here that are enjoying Sin City far yep. more than focused on football. And, and you can't tell me that's not a factor. Uh, and look, the Raiders have always had a culture that's a little loose, uh, going all the way back to Al Davis and playing in Oakland. But I just think it's all magnified playing in Las Vegas. The other city, and this is where I'm throwing a, a little bit of a sidebar, is like Detroit. I, 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 the reason why the Detroit Lions, aren't they like the only team that's never been to a Super Bowl? Or are they close? Or, or yeah. maybe the only team that hasn't been to the Super Bowl. They certainly haven't won one. I don't think it's ever going to happen for Detroit. The city is too <laughs> economically depressed and way too liberal and entitled and feels victim. The whole culture of Detroit feels like, hey, we're a victim. We've been exploited. I just don't think you can have a football team in a football team in Detroit's culture where where, because football requires a mindset of no victimization. It's just lunch pail. It's it's hard work. It's not feeling sorry for yourself. And I think it's hard to maintain that culture in a city like Detroit. And, and, and I, I got friends, I got family that live in Detroit, but I, I'm just, Detroit, and I'll get in trouble I, I, for saying Jason, this or whatever. Jason, look, it's one of the worst Dan, cities in America, man. Okay, no, no argument there, but can we give Dan Campbell a little bit of time? They're on a two-game winning streak now, okay? Rome was not built in the nay. Now, going back to the Raiders in Las Vegas, let's go back to last year. Henry Ruggs, enjoying that nightlife, ruined his career and life. He may never be a free man again. Then they had another first-round draft choice, a defensive back. Decided to run the pistol formation. He's out of the league. If you actually look at the last five or six drafts, most of which were engineered by Mike Mayock, wow. There are busts all over. And we're talking about top 10 picks that never truly made an impact. I think the only real productive first-round draft choice they've had is Josh Jacobs, who's having a nice season. So uh, there's a part of it, I'm just telling you, when when you look at the second half of what Derek Carr said, he feels let down. Look, he's the type of guy, he will take accountability. He'll, He'll pull the thumb. But I'm just telling you, watch what he said again, and he's saying, you know what? I didn't get a lot of help either. So I I do feel for Derek Carr, but there comes a time and a place We've all been in relationships, and you can't say it's anyone's fault or it's just anyone's all to blame, but there are certain points where you have irreconcilable differences and you have to divorce. That time has come in Las Vegas. I I guarantee you part of what uh, Derek Carr is realizing with Devontae Adams there is Devontae's probably constantly talking about what it was like in Green Bay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and how it's different here in Las Vegas and how 
I, I, I mean, could you imagine? I mean, seriously, Devontae Adams goes from playing in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, to playing in Las Vegas. The demands, social life demands, opportunities for socializing, yeah. <laughs> hundred times greater in Las Vegas than Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I guarantee you, Devontae Adams has pointed out, like, man, we did things this way. And on on Thursdays, we met up here at Aaron's house, and we had these type meetings. And and everybody's in the strip club in Las Vegas. You know, all probably all the way up till kickoff game game time. It's I guarantee that's part of what he's seen and realizing. Maybe he's always known it. I look at those young players you talk about that have bombed uh, with the Raiders out of the draft, and and I just wouldn't want to be a 22 or 21 year old with a pocket full of money, and my first job is in Las Vegas. That's got to be one of the hardest things in the world to pull off. I, I just wonder if Devontae has actually said to himself, "Man, man." A six in Las Vegas is a 10 in Green Bay. Wow. Anyway, just saying, that's part of the opportunities you talk about. That's the reality. Just had to bring that up. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, let's, let's segue. Uh, there was an early morning Sunday game. Uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, stopped Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks over in Germany. Uh, the Buccaneers have now won two straight. Tom Brady looked pretty good. Uh, do you believe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are back? Only in this sense. They're in the worst division in football, the NFC South. That alone will make them a playoff team. Okay, they are the tallest midget right now. But would I ever count out Tom Brady completely? No. But this is what I found interesting. And I've been charting this with two guys week in and week out. And yesterday, the Buccaneers had 44 running plays and 29 pass attempts from Brady while the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, another older all-time great quarterback, went 39 runs, 20 passes. In other words, less is more. As great as Tom Brady and A-Rod are, take the game off them a little bit. They don't need to burden every single thing. And Rashad White gave them a little bit of juice in the run game, a little bit quicker, faster, more explosive guy than Leonard Fournette. They may have found something there. But this formula, I believe, can work. Instead of throwing the ball 50-plus times with Tom Brady, hand the ball off and let him just get some play-action pass opportunities, which he's a master at. They played a good game. They dominated most of this contest. Uh, I don't think the score was really indicative of how much control they really had from the beginning of this game in Germany. It's a good sign, and I just really hope that everyone in that building, from Byron Leftwich all the way to the head coach, realizes, hey, this is not about Tom throwing the ball 50 times. Let's actually try to scale it back so Tom doesn't have to do everything. Yeah, they got their running game going yesterday. And, and listen, I, I, I don't think people want to see Tampa come playoff time. It's Tom Brady. Yeah. It's Mike Evans. It's Chris Godwin. Maybe at some point it'll be Julio Jones. They have, and, and then on the defensive side, they just got playmakers. Yes. Particularly on the defensive side. And so I, I, I'm impressed with this victory over Seattle. I actually thought Seattle would win this game. Uh, I, I thought they would keep it going. I, I thought last week was kind of a one-off for Tampa. Now I'm starting to go the other direction. And, and, and it, it's, it's a perfect uh, segue. Uh, Tom Brady loves to bank on himself, and so should you. 
We've been brainwashed into believing the only way to grow our money for retirement is to risk it in the stock market. That's just not true. You can reach your financial goals and dreams without taking any unnecessary risks. Bank on yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. You're guaranteed predictable growth and retirement income with no luck, skill, or guesswork required. How? Your plan doesn't go backwards when the markets crash. Both your principal and growth are locked in. You get access to your money for any purpose with no questions asked and without government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take or when you can take it. Try doing that with a 401k or IRA. You can't. This is the strategy famous businesses like McDonald's use when no banker would lend them a dime and almost anyone can do it. You can get a free report with all the details on how the bank on yourself strategy adds guarantees, predictability, and control to your financial plan. Just go to bankonyourself.com fearless. That's bankonyourself.com fearless. Good fearless soldier wants to bank on himself just like Tom Brady. You have that opportunity with your finances. Bankonyourself.com fearless. All right, let's circle back uh, to my main man, Steve Kim. And uh, Steve, there was a incredible, <laughs> wild game yesterday. The Vikings and the Bills, one of the wildest finishes I've, anybody's ever seen. Justin Jefferson uh, makes incredible plays down the stretch, including a fourth and 18 catch that's as good as any catch you'll ever see in NFL history. Uh, and then Josh Allen kind of pees the game away at the end with a bad interception. Uh, so here's the question. Were you impressed with the Vikings or disappointed with the Buffalo Bills yesterday? Listen, the Vikings are the Vikings. They are an elite team, but I was disappointed in the Bills. And this hurts my heart. But I want to put Josh Allen, Coach McDermott, and especially one of my all-time favorite players, Ken Dorsey from the U on trial. They blew this game. And this Ken Dorsey, also, the offensive coordinator. Yes. Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator. Go ahead. Yeah. It hurts my heart to do this, but I, I give tough love. This is what we do here. We keep it fearless and honest. You're up 27-17. Okay, it was already 27-10. The Bills are driving. They're inside the 10-yard line. I'm watching this. I'm going, okay. It's, it's second, it's third and two. And I'm thinking, okay, you were 10 minutes to go. You have the lead. You've controlled all of this game, and you have a great pass rush. Doesn't run the ball once. And I remember after the third down pass, I said, you know what? Take the points. Make it a 13-point lead. And I've seen more and more games, Jason, where teams bypass the field goal, and they don't make it, and it ends up biting them in the back. In fact, it happened two weeks ago where Oregon State kept passing up early field goals and they lost a close game to Washington on a Friday night. And it just goes to show you, people talk about analytics like players are just robots. They just go by the percentages. I have a theory. When you bypass points and you end up with nothing, there's an emotional deflation that happens. And you give teams a chance to sneak back in the ball game. And when Josh Allen threw that interception into the end zone, which, again, that's a fourth down, so I'm not that hard on it. I thought from the beginning, if you're going to go for it, you have to run the ball at least once. Or if you're not, just kick the field goal and go up by 13. 
I just, I, again, you got to keep it simple. Now, I want to say something. Um, this game had so many twists and turns, but as they were trying to do the, as Josh Allen became Pasarchik and fumbled that uh, late uh, snap, I was reminded of one of my all-time favorite movies, All the Right Moves, from a young aspiring actor by the name of Tom Cruise, who played, get this, now this was great acting, a white cornerback. Yeah, I know. That's a lot of acting. A white <laughs> cornerback named Stefan Georgievich, who's trying to get out of a steel town, right? Ampipe. And, and, and the great scene in that movie, they're playing their rivals, Crescent or Walnut Heights. And they ended up, they had this all-American running back. And Coach Nelson Nickerson said, you know what? We're going to go with the 6-1 stack monster goal line defense. So they're about to win the game. They have the ball at the goal line. It starts raining. But Nickerson does not decide. And I remember tweeting about it. So this is like all the right moves. Should, should they kind of take a safety here? And they ended up fumbling. And Salvucci, the running back that fumbled, was blamed for the loss. Tom Cruise's character was kicked off the team. And Salvucci turned to a life of crime. Now, I will say this in defense of McDermott. With 38 seconds to go and Jefferson on the other side, I don't know if you would have taken the safety there. But this is what I mean by football IQ. I harp on this a lot. Cam... Oh, Cam Lewis. What he did on that fourth and 18 as a defensive back with the Jefferson play, I, I, I want to make this very clear. I think he's okay. I have nothing against him. That play right there was one of the most stupid, selfish football plays I have ever seen. It is fourth and 18. The fourth the and 18 the catch? Hold it, hold it, hold it. You got to give me some more. The fourth and 18 catch you're blaming on the Bills DB? Yeah. Because you know why? Because obviously, being his age, he didn't listen to Tom Jackson on NFL game day in primetime. Knock it down! You got to karate chop that thing like you're Bruce Lee. He was not kung fu fighting. Watch that play again. He's trying to high point that ball because he wants his stats. Do you want your stats or do you want to win? Look at the way he went up for that ball. Tell me if he was trying to knock it down or was he trying to high point the ball for an INT. That's the, immediately what I thought. Look at that. Oh. Cosell. 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 That's terrible. How, how can you take the terrible. negative outlook on this play and not the positive? Justin Jefferson just down. made oh one of the greatest catches. Well, I, I, no that, is that not better than maybe Lynn Swan in the Super Bowl? Is that not as good as David Tyree in the Super Bowl? I know this is just a regular season game, but you're talking about fourth and 18, one hand. I don't know if we've seen anything better than that. And you want to blame the DB? Okay, this must be overreaction Monday. You're comparing a catch in week 10 or 11 to, to passes that were completed in a Super Bowl. One of the reasons why Jefferson made that amazing catch is because the defensive back thought about himself and not the team. That is the reality. They, I'm just telling you, defensive back coaches talk about raking the basket. And there are times you do not want to intercept the ball. If he rakes the basket, I don't think there's any chance for Jefferson to make that catch. And guess what? The Bills win that game. Sometimes it is Do not you about think... you, Cam Lewis. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're a nice player. I'm glad that you stepped up and said I should have. He actually admitted he made a bad play. Jason, he agrees with the Kimster. 
I'm telling you, it Do was you a actually selfish think play. in that moment he was thinking about he's thinking there's oh, no way Justin Jefferson can get his hands on this ball. I got a I got an easy little pop fly to catch. He's not remotely thinking there's a chance Justin Her- Justin oh Jefferson even gets a fingernail on that ball. Jason, I, I am now questioning your football acumen and how you were coached at Ball State and Warren. <laughs> because Von Miller gets the sack. It makes it fourth and 18. You should be taught, like when I played left field in baseball at the great Montebello High School, Harvard of East L.A., when I was in left field, if there was a man on second, one out, you're thinking before every pitcher, if the ball comes to me on a base hit, I've got to hit the cutoff man who's going to be, at that point, my third baseman. Okay? Now, I know this. If it's a fly ball that I catch, I have to go immediately to third. Okay, now let's say I'm um, our team is up by two runs in the last inning and a man on second with one out. If it's a base hit, you know what you have to do instead of throwing home? You have to throw to second. Do you know why? Because you keep the guy from hitting a single, make it into a double. It's called situational awareness. As you break the huddle, someone had to say, whether it's the defensive captain, the coordinator, or the position, hey, guys, knock it down. I'm sorry, Jason. You're giving Cam Lewis way too much of a break. But, I, but I'm the old school. I'm like, I'm like Korean Bobby Knight. I, I don't play that stuff. No. I'm hard-nosed about this. I'm just guaranteed that was a low football. Now, Cam, it's nothing personal. You're a fine young man. I'm glad you have admitted the errors of your ways. Don't ever let that happen again. Uh-uh. No. Bad play. Bad play, Whitlock. Bad. All right. Uh, the Miami Dolphins uh, mm. got another victory, and they sit atop the AFC East at 7-3. and three. Uh, someone sent me a note this morning suggesting Tua should be in the MVP conversation. Yes. I yes. almost spit up on my laptop when I read that email. Uh, <laughs> that was mine, by the way. That was me. But, that was me. <laughs> uh, yeah. How are you going to just hop over Tyreek Hill? If there's an MVP of the Dolphins, it's Tyreek Hill. But but regardless, uh, they're 7-3. and three. The Bills are, what, 6-4, and four, I think? And, no, they're and, both six and three. Uh, the, the Jets and the Bills are both tied for second place at six and three. And as okay, for Tua, but the Dolphins are seven and three. I'm positive of that. Yes, they are. They're first place in that division, led by the NBA. Do you candidate. think they're going to win the AFCs? Do you think no, they're going to win the AFCs? No, because because you know what? I'm not participating in overreaction Monday. As disappointed as I am in the Bills, I still feel as they have they have the best roster. But can we give Tua some credit? I'm glad he didn't listen to someone on this show and retire. That guy is playing unbelievable football. And you know what was impressive yesterday? I don't think he hit any real deep shots, but Jason, on a serious note, his accuracy and pass placement on the intermediate stuff was elite. And when he gets that ball off in time, he is an absolute surgeon. He threw some dimes into the corner of the end zone that were immaculate. Even his incompletions, he threw some corner routes. We had to get the ball out on time, which is always going to be an issue for him because of his lack of real uh, having a cannon. Right? He's not Josh Allen, but his understanding of the offense is excellent. Him and Mike McDaniel's are vibing. And keep this in mind, Jeff Wilson, that running back that they picked up from the Niners. 
That is a downhill hammer, and he brings a different element to that offense. I was actually surprised the Niners uh, got rid of him because I thought he could do a lot of the dirty work that you don't want McCaffrey to do. But, yes, look at Tua's impact. When he's not in the game, the Dolphins look like a different team. Isn't that What do you think they'd look like if Tyreek Hill was on the sideline? How would they look if Tyreek Hill wasn't there? He matters, too. He matters, too, but you still have Waddle. You still have Waddle. You still have Gusecki. They're still, look, would it look different with Tyreek Hill? Yes, absolutely. But name me a more valuable quarterback right now in the league than uh, Tua. You can't. It is time. Look, Patrick Jay, Mahomes. Are- Patrick Mahomes is still okay. in this league. Absolutely. There's no doubt, and he is fantastic. But, Jason, you are being trapped by your preconceived or past uh, perceptions of a player. We all do that. But there comes a time that all of us have to judge on the present. Jalen Hurts. And presently, Hurts. An- another guy that's Jalen Hurts is no still doubt. in this league. Okay. But do you believe that he can run the offense, the Mike McDaniel's offense, as well as Tua has been? Yes or no? I, I let, let me just say this. There's not a quarterback in the league that wouldn't want Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle out okay. on the edges. There's not a quarter. Every quarterback in the league would trade both of their receivers for that combination. Any quarterback in the league would do that. Those guys, Tyreek Hill is dang near the equivalent of Randy Moss. He's not on that level because he's not six foot five. But in terms of simplifying coverage out of fear of Tyreek Hill getting behind your defense, that, that's what, and I'm not trying to beat up on Tua. It's nice what he's doing. He still needs to work on the deep ball and his arm strength. It's nice what he's doing. But Tyreek Hill simplifies the defense the same way Randy Moss used to. I, you know, and we should I give Randy. Disagree. We give all them quarterbacks all the credit. Randy Moss was the greatest force, offensive force, to ever hit a football field. That's why everywhere he went, offensive records fell. Minnesota, and he had a 15-1 team with Minnesota, and then a 16-0 team with the hmm. New England Patriots. Huh. Randy so Moss is so- the common denominator. Oh. And that's what we're seeing with Tyreek Hill. Oh, so we're just forgetting about his uh, memorable stint in Oakland, huh? Those chapters on that book are just torn out. Okay, he didn't, but want, anyway. he didn't want to play. He didn't want to play then. Oh, okay. That that that's a real. That's that's not exactly a compliment. Um, <laughs> you're right about Tyree Kill, but if it was that easy, then Teddy Bridgewater or Skylar Thompson no. would have led this offense. Yeah, Teddy right? Bridgewater is not good enough. He's there. Those guys aren't good enough. <laughs> oh, okay. Not. Okay. All right. So that's my point. The trigger man actually matters. And Tua, I'm just telling you, yes. Does he have elite arm strength? No. Does he short a lot of deep passes? Absolutely. But can he thread the needle? And when he gets the ball off on time, it's absolute art form what he does behind that center. I'm just telling you, I wasn't necessarily a believer. But again, look what he's done this year. That's all I'm saying. Gotcha. All right, uh, let's move on. Dallas Cowboys lose to the Packers yesterday. Uh, Mike McCarthy returns to Green Bay and makes Aaron Rodgers a winner again. Uh, <laughs> McCarthy's 
Always been a guy that can make Aaron Rodgers a winner, and he did it again yesterday. He doesn't take the field goal, 53-yard field goal, in overtime. He goes for it on fourth and three. Dak Prescott uh, lets him down. They don't convert, and uh, Green Bay comes right down the field and uh, wins the game. Uh, do you blame Mike McCarthy for not turning down that, for not taking that field goal? Well, variables matter. If he had a Justin Tucker level kicker, I take the points. But in the overtime, right on that first drive, if you score a touchdown, game ends, right? This yes. was McCarthy telling Dak, Dak, be elite, earn your money, matriculate that ball down the field past the goal line, so we get out of here. It didn't happen, and that's the story with Dak. He's not horrible, he's not bad, but he's not elite. And I thought to myself, you know what, this is a seminal moment for Dak Prescott this year, that make this happen. Tough road game, tough environment, lead them down the field. And in the biggest moments, whether it's his fault or not, but he is the quarterback, it did not happen. But I tell you what was really exposed again, Jason, as well as the Cowboys can rush that quarterback, they have a soft underbelly. They don't stop the run particularly well. If you actually look at their last several games, they get gashed in the run game, and it happened again. I thought that's interesting. I expect a lot of teams now moving forward to actually scale it back and try to punch them right in the mouth to make sure that Micah Parsons and company just can't pin their ears back. But again, if you look at Dak, Against the other elite quarterbacks, again, there's a lot of variables, but he doesn't seem to win a share of battles. Uh, Dak has, he's 2-2 two and two this season. His two mm. victories are over Jared Goff and Justin Fields. Mm. His two losses are against Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, uh, <laughs> to your point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I may have to ask Jason Brown at the end of this show, uh, did Dak make a case for Cooper Rush last night uh, or yesterday? It, it, he's, look, I've always – Dak's a nice guy. Dak's a good quarterback. He's just not worth 40-some-odd million a year. It's, it's, it's a mistake. Uh, he doesn't take that offense to the next level. He is better than Cooper Rush. He should be their starter. But it's the $40 million price tag – this is a wounded Green Bay team that everybody's beating up on, and 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 you can't get it done against Green Bay. It it, it blew my mind yesterday. Jason, they're up twenty eight fourteen in the fourth quarter. That's the game that you tell your franchise quarterback you got to get us home. You got to get us home somehow, some way. And I believe he had something like forty five, forty six pass attempts. I'm just telling you, Jason, there are times when teams, when they have it going pretty well in the ground game, keep it on the ground because it runs the clock, it grinds the games down, and it also keeps your defense off the field. Uh, their expectations of Dak as being this high-level elite quarterback I think need to change. Uh, and now that Pollard's kind of taken that job by the reins, I would start saying to myself, if I'm Kellen Moore, Look, we're not going to put the straight jacket on Dak Prescott, but he's not going to be the type of guy that we're going to consistently throw over 40 times. Again, sometimes the old-fashioned simple way is still the best way. Uh, finally, uh, speaking of crazy things uh, in an email, 
someone else wrote me this morning, uh, seeing the praises of Justin Fields. And, mm. and said they're starting to believe in Justin Fields. Yes. I'm not sure who that was, okay. uh, but he was an Asian young man. Mm. Uh, are young you, man. What, you think Justin Fields, is, is he the new Lamar Jackson? No, but I'm beginning to actually think there's progress. Look, when I saw the Bears in September and early October, they truly were the bad news Bears. But now he's starting to play ball. Look. Let's be fair to Justin Fields. There's nobody around him. He has some decent running backs. Receivers are okay. They tried to get him some help with Chase Claypool. Uh, Mooney is not bad. Productive tight end in Komet. But this is what I've been saying, and I've tweeted it a few times. Just let Justin Fields ball. If he has to run around, if he has to play scramble ball, do some playground stuff, do that. But he's actually making plays now. Yards per game in the air is still very poor, but again, you got to surround him. But one thing he's given the Bears and their fans is a little bit of hope and some entertainment value. Now, the Bears' job in the offseason is to make sure you surround him with a better offensive line and some weapons. Let's go all the way back to the late 80s, early 90s, the way the Cowboys surrounded Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman, when he got drafted number one in 1989, he already had Michael Irvin. But from that point on, what Jimmy Johnson decided to do, fortify the offensive line. Drafted a guy like Mark Stepnoski and then Eric Williams. Got himself a fullback in Moose Johnson and then Emmett Smith. And then ended up getting Alvin Harper and in Plan B free agency. Remember Plan B free agency? They got a guy by the name of Jay Novacek. I believe Justin Fields has some special athletic qualities. He still needs to evolve as a quarterback, but he's shown me enough that if I'm the Bears, I build with him. And another thing, put him in shotgun. Go shotgun spread, and that's what he did at Ohio State with Ryan Day, and just let him play ball. Don't cage this guy behind center thinking you have Walter Payton. No, but the Bears, I'm I'm actually interested in watching them because Justin Fields, makes it fun, and he's actually making some progress. I'm not sold. I, I think this is an offense and a, a franchise that said, screw it. Hey, this guy's never going to be a passer. <laughs> Let's just saddle him up and ride him till the wheels fall off. That's the only way we, okay. only chance we have of winning. And, and I, I just don't see it as a long-term deal. I don't think he's Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's not as electric. Or, and I know he's had some nice runs. But it ain't Lamar Jackson. It, no, he's it's, not. It's an imitation of it's an imitation of Lamar Jackson. This just won't be sustainable. Uh, and 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 I, I don't even think he's the passer that Lamar Jackson is. I see the Bears and that coaching staff just saying, "Screw it, uh, we're going to run this guy. If he gets hurt, so what? It'll be an excuse to uh, actually move on and draft a quarterback we actually believe in." And that's what I think they're going to do with Justin Fields is they're going to run him around and, and, and maybe hope that he gets his bell rung uh, and, oh and they'll move on from him next year. I'm not, I just don't think they believe in wow. him as a passer. I don't think this is no. some strategy that I just don't, I don't think they believe him as a passer. And they say, ah, all right, we didn't draft you know him, not our guy. Let him run around. He we'll might be on. Lamar Jackson light, or I can't believe it's not Lamar Jackson. But can we be fair to Justin Fields? He may have had more. In fact, you know what I'm going to say? He had more offensive talent at Ohio State than what he's playing with 
Now, if you actually look at the Ohio State wide receiver room for the past eight years, they have an all-pro team, literally, starting with Michael Thomas and all those other guys that put up big numbers. In fact, they have, they have a wide receiver room right now in Columbus that I would take over most NFL teams, Marvin Harrison's son, Jackson and Jigba. And I really think Fields came over here thinking, okay, now I'm in the pros, and he looks around and he goes, who are these bums? Who are these bums? So give him some credit. Look, it's I'm just saying it's going to be a process. Do I think Justin Fields has arrived as an elite or frontline starting NFL quarterback? No. But if you watch this Bears offense from the beginning of the year to now, they've actually made strides. And in the offseason, their goal, their mission has to be give Fields some help. Simple as that. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Steve, didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I want to know, did you get to see Dave Chappelle's uh, monologue on Saturday Night Live, and did you have any thoughts on it? If you, if you didn't, no problem. I'm going to talk about it with Shamika. But if you did, I want to know your thoughts. You know, I didn't. I saw a couple clips. Look, Dave Chappelle is funny. Don't he force it then. You didn't watch it. Funny. I don't want to know. But I didn't. You know why? Because Saturday Night Live, it's no longer comedy. That's you know uh, what it I was. It was Saturday. It was Saturday, but I mean, look, if Dave Chappelle comes on every week, maybe I'll start watching it again. Didn't a couple writers boycott this show? You know what I tell those guys? Yeah. Anyway, I would yeah. tell those guys, hey guys, pack up the rest of your stuff. Give me your key card. Give me your fob. Here's a box and GTFO permanently. That's that's the way I would handle it. <laughs> I don't run Saturday Night Live. That's my take. Uh, that's the same thing I'm doing to you right now. GTFO. Oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you get out of here. All right. Uh, <laughs> you can email me at fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. That's fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Love to get your feedback. If I don't read it, someone else will. But I read most of the emails, so go ahead and send me an email. Shamika Michelle, Shamoke Show. X. It's my obligation. hate discrimination raising up your hands for free. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, time to make it make sense uh, from the NFL weekend. I have one other topic that we needed a woman's perspective on. Uh, we'll see if uh, Shamika Michelle uh, can make it make sense. Uh, Mike Pereira of Fox Sports uh, was caught on camera uh, wagging his tongue. Uh, we're not sure what to make of it, but let, let's play the clip and then hey, can we take me out of the screen so everybody can just focus in on Mike and and yeah let, let's just let's just focus in on there we go. Mike looks pretty pleased with himself there. Uh, <laughs> Mike's a classy guy. He used to come on speak for yourself uh, with me uh, quite a bit and. Uh, 
he got caught with his pants down here. It looks like uh, not knowing that he's on camera seems to be making uh, some sort of gesture to someone off camera. Uh, and so here to decode what's going on and perhaps what type of explanation Mike may need to give when he gets home uh, this week uh, is Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamika, uh, what do you make of uh, Mike Pereira, the NFL's uh, rules expert? What do you, what do you make of uh, what he got caught on camera wagging his tongue? Well, of course, I think we all know exactly what he was trying to say to someone. My do? hope. I, I don't. I don't. Well, we, well, we do. I, I think every woman in America that saw that was like, hey, I know exactly what you mean, Mike. And I'm hoping for his sake, his wife was in the room. That's what I'm hoping. Because otherwise, he's in trouble. Because <laughs> we know what that means. If his wife was in the room, then big ups to him. Get that man a cold beer. He's doing exactly what he needs to be doing at home. However, if his wife was not there, the problem is going to be you don't get to wag your tongue outside the house if you're not wagging your tongue <laughs> enough inside the house. So I want to know who was there. Who was he doing it to? And I'm hoping it was to a woman and not a man. Uh, because in this day and time, we just don't know. But I think we know exactly what he was doing. And for me, it just depends on who he was doing it to, how big or bad the punishment will be. Mm. I, you know what? It's funny you say that because when I saw this video yesterday on social media, the thought that his wife could be there in town with him uh, hadn't crossed my mind. And that is a very, very logical answer. And it, it's probably, I'm going to speculate, that's probably what it was. I, 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 and I say that's having known Mike uh, and, and having a lot of respect for Mike, uh, it, you know, maybe it was take your wife to work day. And, and she was there with him in L.A., join, enjoying the sunshine of L.A., and just Mike's letting her know uh, it's going down when these games is over. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Shamika, on a more serious uh, note, at least for me it was a more serious note, Dave Chappelle was on uh, Saturday Night Live over the weekend and I thought gave a brilliant 15-minute monologue. Uh, the New York Times wrote a story that uh, Chappelle mocked Kanye and Kyrie, and I'm like, what? what did they watch? They, they weren't watching what I watched. They didn't hear what I heard. I heard somebody defending Kyrie, Kanye and Kyrie, uh, but here, let's play a clip where, and this is just, he talked about them for several minutes, but let's play this clip. I think it kind of summarizes his thoughts on Kanye and Kyrie. It's a big deal. <laughs> he had broken the show business rules. Because it's a rule, you know, the rules of perception. If, if they're black, then it's a gang. If they're Italian, it's a mob. But if they're Jewish, it's a coincidence, and he should never speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> Kanye got in so much trouble, Kyrie got in trouble. <laughs> I 
Kyrie, Kyrie Irving posted a, a, a link to a movie that he had seen on Amazon. No caption on the post or nothing like that. But apparently this movie had some, I don't know, anti-Semitic tropes or something. And it was some weird title, like from Hebrew to Negro or something. <laughs> and the NBA told me he should apologize. And he was slow to apologize. And then the list of demands to get back in their good graces got longer and longer. And this, this is where, you know, I draw the line. I know the Jewish people have been through terrible things all over the world, but, 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 but you can't blame that on black Americans. You just, you just can't. You know what I mean? So uh, that was Dave Chappelle, just a snippet of what he had to say about uh, Kanye and Kyrie. And just, I, I don't think I'm mischaracterizing the overall gist of his performance. I don't think he was mocking Kanye and Kyrie. I think he was defending them. Okay, first let me say, Jason, that Dave Chappelle is like the only person or the only man that I actually respect that has a lisp. I could listen to him all day long, <laughs> but I don't really find his stand up funny. I never really have, but I think you've kind of helped me understand that. And that's because I've never made the correlation between ministers and comedians. Like I've known comedians who actually just spoke truth, like Paul Mooney and George Carlin, but I never really made that correlation until you did. And I'm like, maybe that's why I don't really find his stand up funny because it's just so truthful. And I don't think he was mocking them at all. I think that he did did a brilliant job in bringing to light the foolishness that we've been witnessing over the last few weeks concerning Kanye and, and Kyrie. So I thought it was brilliant. And the New York Times saying that he was mocking them is almost just as bad as them saying Trump uh, the candidates he endorsed, none of them won. We know that's a lie. And we know that the media will spin things the way they want us to see it. But anyone who actually watched that monologue did not at all think he was mocking those two. But he did a brilliant delivery in helping people to see exactly what we've witnessed has been crazy. Well, I was explaining to someone yesterday about the New York Times article that they wrote that piece as a favor to Saturday Night Live. And, and, and it's because Saturday Night Live is in such bad shape as an institution, as a brand, as, as doing comedy. It's not edgy anymore. It's very predictable. And so they need Dave Chappelle to come on occasionally and lend them some credibility. Hey, we're still Saturday Night Live. We bring Dave Chappelle on. And so they did that, and Dave Chappelle told them, I think, behind the scenes, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say what I think. I'll throw you a bone or two. I'll say that I'm a Democrat. I'll, I'll ridicule Herschel Walker. But I'm not going to take a dump on Kanye and Kyrie. I'm just not. I'm not going to because Dave was the first one with th this whole line of thought and this whole power dynamic between black artists and, and Jewish people in power in Hollywood. He was the first, and so he couldn't go up there and just do a 180 and reverse course and damage his own brand. So he told them, now nah, I'm gonna crack these jokes, but 
Y'all get the New York Times to write a story that says I mock Kanye and Kyrie. That provides y'all cover. You know, Saturday Night Live didn't do anything inappropriate. Uh, you know, Dave came on and mocked Kanye and Kyrie. Y'all go ahead and tell that lie. But it's so obvious a lie that the Anti-Defamation League, the, the ADL, the Jewish Civil Rights Organization, condemned Dave Chappelle's monologue. They mm -hmm. issued a statement. So that right there should tell you like, well, hold on, are they issuing a statement condemning his monologue because he mocked Kanye and Kyrie? Or did they watch it and think the same thing that I thought, he defended Kanye and Kyrie? He did, and it's so funny because I saw people like Shannon Sharp saying how great it was, and it was like, okay, I'm confused, Shannon, because he took up for uh, Kyrie something that you could not do initially. And so I do think bringing Dave Chappelle also, like you said, gave credibility because I thought their whole Fox and Friends, at least the beginning part of that skit, was pretty funny to me as well. And I never really watched Saturday Night Live anymore because it's big um, become so predictable but I thought that was pretty good I thought they did a good Brian kill me impersonation uh, because I got reprimanded by him when he filled in for prime time but it was live and there was nothing that you know they could do and so I thought that skit was pretty funny so just having Dave Chappelle on for me made me want to watch see what else is on the show so I definitely feel like he gave them credibility but uh, I'm not surprised about the ADL because he definitely defended them. And we're, we're going to see what happens over the next few days. I, I, I think he walked the tightrope uh, marvelously. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Kanye can be offended by anything, so who knows how he would react. But I think <laughs> Kyrie will get exactly where he's coming from. Uh, the, the, the thing that cracks me up about uh, someone like Shannon Sharp talking about how great it was, I think he also missed, and most people miss, the second half of Dave's stand-up. Because again, he made some promises to them. I'm not gonna lie, I won't come on here and clown Biden and Kamala, even though that, sure, he could get plenty of material out of that, but he promised them I won't do that. And that, because again, this is all a negotiation. Okay, you, you can crack these jokes defending Kyrie and Kanye, but, but don't beat up Biden, don't beat up Kamala. Uh, but the other thing he did that I thought took even more courage, and it's like, are these people stupid? Did they not catch what this man was doing? This man went on there in his routine, he defended Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. he, I don't care what anybody says. He cracked some jokes and said the Russian collusion deal. But, but he, he cracked that Russian collusion deal knowing that that whole thing has been debunked. Right. So that, that's like a really harmless joke. What he actually did was say, and it's cleverly how he said it, he goes, no, no, no. I live in Ohio around Trump supporters. I'm one of the richest comedians there is. I can live wherever I want. I made a choice to live in Ohio around Trump supporters, and here's why he's popular. Let's play the clip. A lot of you don't understand why Trump was so popular, but I, I get it, because I hear it every day. He's very loved. 
And the reason he's loved is because people in Ohio have never seen somebody like him. He's what I call an honest liar. Well, I'm not joking right now. He's an honest liar. That first debate, that first debate, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a white male billionaire screaming at the top of his lungs. This whole system is rigged, he said. <laughs> and across the stage was a white woman, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, sitting over there looking at him like, no, it's not. I said, now, wait a minute, bro. <laughs> it's what he said. And the moderator said, well, Mr. Trump, if in fact the system is rigged, as you suggest, what would be your evidence? You remember what he said, bro? He said, I know the system is rigged because I use it. I said, God damn. So, people that aren't smart won't get what he's doing here. But just punch honest liar into Google, and they'll tell you the meaning of honest liar. An honest liar is someone who uses deception or trickery in order to reveal the truth. An honest liar is someone who uses deception or trickery in order to reveal the truth. A classic example would be stage musician James Randi, who for decades has used his skills in deception and misdirection to expose fraudulent physics, and pseudoscientists. James Randi's a real dude. There was a movie about him called The Honest Liar. It, it, it's, it's clear as day what Dave was saying. And again, we could play, if we played the whole thing he said about Trump and then how he ended it, saying basically, look, y'all, can't y'all see? Y'all are reaching the same conclusions that we as black people have already reached, the FBI, let's disband it. And there was a couple other examples he, he thought. And Dave's message was clearly like, hey, Trump supporters, you think the same thing we think is black people. And it was a message that went over most people's head because they've been so trained by the media that as black people, you hear Trump and you think, oh my God, KKK, white racist, blah, blah, blah. Dave Chappelle just went on Saturday Night Live and told y'all the same thing I've been telling y'all on this show. Trump supporters and black people think the same thing. They've been pitted against each other by liberal Democrats and the elites so that you're distracted from what's really going on and who's really exploiting you. The it was a brilliant monologue. It was a defense of Kanye, Kyrie, and Donald Trump. Anybody with a brain realizes that. That's why the ADL is upset. That's why the power structure is upset. And there's no amount of smokescreen, the New York Times or anybody. If you have a brain, rewatch the thing and listen to what he's actually saying. And I've, I've said it from the beginning. I was like, if y'all think, if y'all falling for this gimmick that, that Dave Chappelle has a problem with Trump, this man got all the money in the world, or more than enough money to live wherever he wants, but he's out in bum F Ohio around a bunch of white Trump supporters, and y'all think it's just a, oh, it's a coincidence. Right. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, so I just thought it was great. I thought it was a great defense of Trump. 
Yeah, and I agree. I like the fact that he said, I can see why you all in New York would say that. But in Ohio, like I'm around this pe these people, you know, we've seen the past few days, the pivot away from Trump and people saying Trump is done or his reign is over and trying to call him irrational and just saying that his behavior on Truth Social is erratic. It's almost like the, the memo was sent out for everyone that used to support him him to say the same thing. And I think what Dave was letting people know is that you may feel that way about Trump, but there are still millions, 80 million people that still feel like he is the person that we need to look for for leadership. And so I really appreciated that part because I agree with you. A lot of people that support Trump and black people feel the same way. I traveled the country in 2020 campaigning for Trump and I was never disrespected. I was never called out of my name. These people loved me because we were uh I was speaking a message of freedom and we are tired of being on the bottom, so many. And so I just, I love that he actually stood up for Trump and to say, hey, say whatever you wanna say about this man. There's still people, even though he was specific to Ohio, there are still people that feel the exact same way and got his message and will run with it because we will. Well, I've always been someone that respected Trump from a distance. And I've always been, I'm so hesitant about politics that anybody that enters that arena, I'm very skeptical of. And so I've had a lukewarm passion for Donald Trump. And a lukewarm passion when you're black for Donald Trump is seen as like, Oh, you're a groupie for Trump. Well, what you're about to see and what you're starting to see right now, when I'm looking at this reaction to Donald Trump after these midterms, I'm looking at, I'm just looking at people run away from Trump. You're about to see a passionate version of Jason Whitlock for Donald Trump. There's everything that's going on, I'm uncomfortable with. I, all of it, just, and, and Dave's explanation on Saturday Night Live, calling him an honest liar, basically saying he's using deception to, uh, to expose the truth. It all makes sense to me. It's like the whole crazy routine and you're you calling him crazy and blah, that's all a distraction when he's really going, hey, look, this game is rigged. I went mm -hmm. on a stage and told you it was rigged. I've been playing this rig game from the inside and I'm telling on all these people and I'm looking at idiots, idiots, run away from this guy. And I'm, mostly I'm, t I'm talking about black people. There's just no proof that Donald Trump has any problem with us. I don't care what they say on MSNBC. I don't care what they say on CNN. I don't care. There's no proof. That man met with Ice Cube or had his administration, his workers meet with Ice Cube about some plan. Joe, Joe Biden, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll meet with you after the election. They wouldn't even pick up return Ice Cube's phone calls. Mm -hmm. Oh, but Donald Trump, he's the racist. Joe Biden now here talking, you ain't black if you don't vote for me, but, but he's the champion for black people. Yeah, 
their whole agenda about abortion. I'm for abortion. Black women got to have abortion. It's a health care issue. We got to let these black women kill their babies. But he's for black people. Man, y'all got to stop and open your eyes up. I mean, you, you can't be this blinded, this stupid, this filled with the left wing's racial idolatry that you cannot see what is obvious. This man, what Dave Chappelle was giving him credit for is like, we've been waiting on somebody from the inside mm -hmm. to come outside and tell us that the game is rigged on the inside. And this man did it, and this is the man we supposed to hate? Y'all gotta miss me with that. And, 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 and I'm not gonna turn hostile on Ron DeSantis. But when I look at everybody caping up and running to approve Ron DeSantis, when I look at the machine, left and right, everybody's jumping on Ron DeSantis and he's the greatest thing ever, just makes me very skeptical. Anybody, this, it's like, oh, he's the perfect politician. Well, hold on. When somebody comes with the truth, how are they received? Uh -huh. What does the Bible tell us about people that spoke the truth? What has my life experience told me about people who speak the truth? They're not celebrated. Right. They try to destroy those people. They smear those people. They're crazy. They're racist. They're homophobes. They're this. They're that. So if y'all wanted to convince me that Ron DeSantis is the real deal, let me start seeing some headlines about how racist he is, how homophobic he is, how, uh, you know, he's the worst thing on the planet. Treat him the way you treat Trump, and then I'll believe it. Until then, miss me. And, and, and I'm not trying to beat up on Ron DeSantis, but I'm just judging by the way they're treating him. That's not how you treat a man that's speaking uncomfortable truths. Mm -hmm. that, 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 you, they just don't do it. That, that's not they treating him like he's Joe Biden or Barack Obama. Yeah, Miss there's me. been a pivot. Yeah, for sure. We can see it. Shamika, uh, thank you so much. Oh, I, 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 I well, I'm, I'm going to let you go because I done screwed it up. I want to do the approval rating on uh, Dave Chappelle, but we're not going to. I'm going to move on to Jason Brown. I went longer than I anticipated. Uh, I had him at Blazing Hot. She had him at a smoke show. Uh, we're going to run out to Las Vegas and hear from Jason Brown about his Vegas weekend and what he thought of the coach and the Raiders. I think he's out on the golf course. Uh, we'll do that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Las Vegas. Uh, we're going to check in briefly with Jason Brown, Last Chance Q. He's out in Las Vegas. He's on the golf course. He was in town for the Raiders-Colts game on Sunday. Uh, JB, 
without too many details, remembering this is a family show, uh, what was the highlight? What's been the highlight of your weekend in Las Vegas? Uh, right now, probably I'm sitting here on Michael Jordan's golf cart. Uh, only one person in the world other than Michael is allowed to be in it. And that's Pat Perez, my good friend, who's a live golf pro. Uh, they just won the live uh, big pot in Miami last week. So uh, we're hanging out and uh, we're in the private box yesterday, MGM box, uh, one of the Pat sponsors. So we got to uh, be at the Colts Raiders game. And let me tell you, watching, De watching Derek Carr up close is even more proof that he is god awful and the Raiders' sole issue is Derek Carr. Podcast right now? Derek Carr, yeah, the sole issue, not Josh yep. McDaniels. Oh, well, we already knew that was an issue, but no, we already know. Derek, quarterbacks save coaches every year. So, quarterbacks save coaches' jobs. You've seen it. And, he, and quarterbacks get coaches' jobs, as you've seen. So, the only reason Josh McDaniels here is because he coached Tom Brady. The only reason McFleur is in Grant, Green Bay still is because Aaron Rodgers has got two MVPs. And if they don't win this year, LeFleur could be out. So just look at the history of this thing. Quarterbacks save coaches. It's not the other way around. Tell me a coach that saved the quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I don't know any off the top of my head. What did you think of Jeff Saturday's debut? Pat says hello to you, by the way. What's up, brother? Pat, how are you? Congratulations on all your set. What did you think of Jeff Saturday? Man, Jeff Saturday got a win, right? Uh, that's all. Because, you know, if you get people to buy into what you're selling, you can always get a quick win. I said right. the culture winning. I did a video before. I, I, I said the culture going to win because the Raiders are horrible and Derek Carr is bad. And we knew the Colts were going to win the football game for the sole reason of the Colts had better personnel. I knew he was going to start Matt Ryan and give him an upstart. And look what's happened. He came in, must have autonomy to do what Frank Wright couldn't do, which was start Matt Ryan. And that's what everyone thought he should have kept doing was keep Matt Ryan in there. And uh, look what happened. So, you know, he didn't take any sacks yesterday. He got rid of the football. He didn't have a huge day number-wise, but he did the right play when it had to ha be done. And uh, it was a it was a game plan that was just, you know, run the football, play sound defense. And Taylor got loose, broke a 75 yarder. And and, and you saw that. And then you got. Uh, but don't let's not let's make no mistake about it here. I don't know if you've heard Bill Cower, Rex Ryan, myself and Sean Salisbury. It's a slap in the face to the coaching profession and the world that Jeff Saturday is the head coach there, in my opinion. That is the what it really is because at the end of the day, there's guys out there, black or white. I don't care about all the race shit. I just care about the fact that there's coaches that have have worked their butts off for years to deserve a shot. And Jeff Saturday being pulled out the booth to do this, uh, I don't agree with. But at the end of the day, you know, if he goes and wins eight in a row, what are you going to say? Uh, but I don't see that happening. Um, I don't think anyone sees that happening. But at the end of the day, Motivation is a huge, huge piece to coaching. And uh, he may be the guy that gets him to rally up and, and, and rally the troops. Who knows? Uh, he is a Hall of Fame guy with the organization. He's probably a top 10 center of all time. And maybe they respect the fact that he's, uh, you know, been drugged through the same mud, so to speak. So maybe that's enough to do it. But at the end of the day, uh, I still don't think it's the right fit. 
JB, enjoy Las Vegas. We'll holler at you next week. Hey, I appreciate you guys. All right, uh, that's Jason Brown. Uh, that's it, and that's all for us. We'll play some tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow.